Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hey everyone, welcome to another iStart Research Perspectives podcast, the right place to hear about dementia research from two fundamental and complementary perspectives, from someone living with dementia and the researcher in the topic. Today we focus on sleep, one of my favorite activities and a vital engine for our health and well-being. It allows our body and brain to recover from the daily stressors and to recharge for the following day. And God knows we need that. Today, we are talking about sleep with Clara Dominguez, a brilliant neurologist from Spain, which is my co-host here. And we will host this podcast interviewing remarkable people with a lot to say about the topic. My name is Fernando Guzzoli, and as you can tell by my wonderful accent, which is a joke, I am Brazilian, I'm a journalist, and more importantly, I'm a devoted grandson. My personal interest in dementia began when my grandmother and best friend was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And aware of the impact that the disease would bring to our lives, I decided to drop out of college and quit my job to dedicate six long and incredible years to her. Quite an adventure, I must say. But we managed to be with her and to help protect her dignity until the very last moment. Now I dedicate my time to finding ways to combine storytelling and science, aiming to raise empathy and connect everyone involved in this ecosystem of caring for someone with dementia. Greetings, everyone. My name is Clara Dominguez. I work as a clinical neurologist in Spain, and I have had a personal interest in cognitive disorders since I started studying medicine. Now, as a clinician, I see people with cognitive issues every day and know the challenges they and their loved ones face. I am very honored to have the chance to participate in this podcast and help spread knowledge and understanding on these issues. But let's move on to our chosen topic today, the relation between sleep and dementia viewed from two different angles. First, we will hear from Helen Rufford Brennan, a member of the European Working Group of People Living with Dementia, who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2012. And after, we will have the chance to talk with Dr. Yu Len, who is an expert in the relationship between sleep and cognitive disorders, and maybe will unveil some of the mysteries surrounding our dream time. People living with dementia and their family members can be heavily affected by sleep issues. They often have complaints about poor quality and quantity of their night's sleep. Studies suggest a connection between sleep disorders and risk of developing dementia. Thankfully, some sleep interventions may have a positive impact on the overall picture. So let's start by hearing some insight from someone who has a daily grasp on this impact. Helen, welcome to this virtual room. And I must say, I am a fan of yours. I had the opportunity to hear a powerful testimony from you while the pre-pandemic world allowed face-to-face -face meetings. I was in Ireland, in GBHI, I was a fellow there. This happened at Trinity College in Dublin. But for those who haven't had the same luck, could you quickly introduce yourself, please? 
Yeah, I'm Helen Rochford Brennan. I live in Sligo in the beautiful northwest of Ireland. Uh, I was diagnosed in 2012 after a five-year uh, battle of trying to find out whether I did or whether I didn't have the disease uh, of uh, the brain disease of Alzheimer's, uh, which I was diagnosed with. Uh, I uh, became, after maybe eight or nine months, I realized there wasn't really back then very much uh, of a pathway of care or anywhere for me to go and get uh, get some information of how to live with this illness. And so I was lucky enough to have a nurse give me a contact at Trinity College, Professor Ian Robinson, who was carrying out research in cognitive rehabilitative therapy. And uh, I was delighted to be able to participate in that research because it led me to the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland and the newly formed Irish Community Working Group. And from very shortly thereafter, I became chair of that group and subsequently became uh, a member of the European Working Group of People with Dementia. I was vice chair for four years and chair for four years. <laughs> so I'm uh, delighted to be uh, part of that great organization. And um, I think uh, I do work uh, all over the world. I have participated in loads of research with various different bodies and um and i also collaborate with eu mental health uh with um the we do a lot of work with the european parliament and i also uh collaborate with the world with the world health organization on their knowledge exchange program so i'm a very active citizen and but my main thing is that uh, from the very beginning is that i realized my rights were violated and that there was nothing for me to nowhere for me to go and that is why i really want to try and make change so that's my motivation my motivation is that the rights of all people with whatever kind of dementia they have are upheld and i suppose i want my legacy to be that i've done everything in my power to ensure that the people that are diagnosed after me have a much better quality of life what a wonderful journey Helen, because you are influencing policies, not just locally, but influencing how voice of people living this day by day can influence positively the others and how society perceives this diagnosis. And um, looking back, Helen, what was your sleep like prior to your symptoms and the diagnosis? Like a log. I was a really busy person, I suppose, in my life. I was a very active citizen, apart from a full-time a full worker. And, and, and uh, also, I was, uh, I should say from the beginning, I was a wife to Sean. He passed away last year, and I'm a mother to Martin. And so I really was very active, and I was very active in my community. And I have always been an active citizen wherever I have lived, because I think it's really important that we contribute to society. And so I slept well. And then I was diagnosed. And when I was diagnosed, I didn't realize why I wasn't able to sleep and why I am not able to sleep. It's, 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 it's current. Uh, so all these years later, you know, I still have the same pattern of, of not being able to sleep. And so then I have to try and find out for myself because there was nobody for me to go to, to tell me, well, this is all part of the illness. So eventually, uh, Sean and myself were at my consultant and, Sean talked about that I wasn't sleeping and, uh, and you know, I'd go to bed at 12 o'clock, wake up at two, maybe stay awake from two to four. I'd get up, of course. And um, 
and interrupt the whole house. But, and so it was really, I was so tired. I was so fatigued. I was so exhausted that I, when we talked to the doctor, I said, oh, you know, that's all part of the illness. That's all part of the illness. So that might have been two years after I was diagnosed that I realized that it was all part and parcel of, of, uh, of Alzheimer's. And that, Fernando, was um, a bit of a shock that I had to think about that maybe this is going to be, this is going to be life from here on. And the other thing was that I suppose I look back on my, my, on my life and, and, uh, and I think about uh, being lucky that I could, that I could, have slept for, <laughs> could have slept for so long without sleep interruptions. And then to realize that this illness was going to rob me of that too. It was bad enough to rob you of your, of your ability to remember, which is my, my problem is short-term short memory. So then, so then you have to learn to deal with it. So there wasn't a lot we could really do other than um, try and seek out advice. And Dr. Google became the main, the main, the main, the main, the main place to look. Um, I tried some of the things, you know, not having caffeine late. I drink decaf tea if I have to in in, in the evening time. Uh, avoiding alcohol, I'm avoiding any stimulant. So to try and see if I could help me to sleep. And I'm afraid all to no avail. So, so then I, you know, I also have heart disease. So I take medications. Uh, so those medications may have an impact on my, on, my, on my sleep as well, because I take high blood pressure medication, I have heart stints. So um, at least I was able to try and to figure out some things, okay, that, Maybe causing the problem, as well as uh, as as the Alzheimer's. Because I tried, then I did medication or meditation, uh, and I also had things like Indian head massage, thinking in the evening that might relax me. <laughs> and I could have kept on investing in different in different things, and 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 nothing was working. And so. I had to try and learn to live, but you never learn to live with the tiredness. You never learn to live with it has an impact on your weight because you're not, you know, you're so tired that the amount of exercise, even though that I walk every day with my dog, I, do I walk as far as I should walk? No, I don't, you know. So uh, look, you know, over the years, I'm sure that I was irritable and um, probably pretty grumpy at times because I was tired. Uh, but you know, it has a profound consequence on you when you're not able to sleep. Uh, look, you, you're not functioning uh, to your full ability. You're not on top of everything that you could be more on top of in your, in your everyday life. And, um, and then I think, I honestly believe it, it must in some way shorten your life because if you're always tired, uh, which it's, as the years have rolled on, I have to say to you, it's a different type of tiredness. But uh, you, I, it's hard sometimes when I'm told, well, maybe if you had a very calm, peaceful house and at night before you go to bed, you know, I like to watch TV. I like to stay up as long as I can. So, um, and people like me that have this, this disease, we like to do that because then it means that if we go to bed 
early, well, then we're awake. So if I went to bed at 10 o'clock, for example, I could be up quite awake at 12. So that's no good then because I'll be awake until 2, 3 in the morning. And um, and so now I try to wake up wait up until 12. But I, I'm going to be watching TV or um, Netflix or something, you know, so I want to... I, I understand that, you know, but to me, that's my calming, you know, that's, that's my way of, of, of relaxing, getting in a, a, in a peaceful mood. Uh, also, uh, from uh, that it has a major impact on my weight. There is no question about it. The lack of sleep has, has um, really caused a major problem with my weight for me because of the awful fatigue you feel. So, Every day is a challenge, but I find that as time goes on and as I get older, that I probably require less sleep. But when you wake up at night and you have, uh, for example, when my husband was sick for a few months before he died, he had um, he had lung cancer. And so once I'd wake up, and I was thinking about rectifying everything in the world, setting all the rights of people with dementia to right, pardon the pun, but I found that um, then it was all about dying. Everything was about death and dying. And no matter how I tried to close my eyes and, and meditate, and I got apps, I got the CAM app to try and see if that would calm me. And I would listen to the app. And a few minutes later, then the problem I would have, I doze off and within a very short time, I was awake again. And, and so you, people, people like me, you know, we, we have this absolutely that have suffered from sleep deprivation. Nothing at times will work, especially in a time of when you have um, a crisis and you have anxiety because, for people with Alzheimer's, um, stress causes anxiety, and anxiety brings with it um, brings with it some real challenges. And and please believe me, it brings with it some real challenges. And so, one of the great greatest challenges, of course, is that you're not really able to sleep at all for that period of time that you're going through all that stress and grief. And uh, and then as my as I return to somewhat normal life you know it's again you're waking up and you know it's it seems to be the most ridiculous things that you think about when you wake up and and when you wake up those everything becomes a crisis but they're not a crisis they're actually nothing in in, in the on the whole scale of my life they're probably nothing but I by the time I get back to sleep I can be sure I can be rest assured of one thing there will be totally exasperated because I will have, that's all I can think about in that, in that here and now. So sleeping isn't, um, the lack of sleep is, um, it's daunting, you know, it, it's daunting to live with. And I've tried, I've tried all kinds of meditation. I've tried all kinds of apps to try and, and help me to, to relax and to deal with it. And I find most nights that it's easier for me to get up at, say, for example, last night, I went to bed hoping to sleep after a very long day in our parliament yesterday, which is a three hour drive from here. And I 
I found myself going to bed at midnight and waking up again at 20 past two. And the only thing I can do at that point is to get up because I just have to get out of bed and just so I get up and I make myself a cup of decaf tea. And then I try to get back to sleep again. And it might take a while, but that's 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 routine. That's routine. That's how life is. And and every CAM app that I've tried or every I've tried melatonin. I've tried. Oh, I've tried, I, I think over the years, I honestly have tried everything I possibly can. The one thing I have not tried and I will not try is sleep medication because sleep medication impacts on our, has a further impact on our brain and our brain functioning. And of course, you know, I want to keep my brain functioning to its, to the best of its ability on a daily basis. And one of the things that um, I found early on when that this was not, uh, this was not a really good idea. And I was delighted that my consultant advised me on this. Helen, um, that was a, Powerful testimony. I, I hope we could have more time and, and go deeper in the subject. I, I myself, I, I created a fun page on, on, a, on a social media to share my day by day supporting my grandma going through Alzheimer's. And most of these strategies that you used yourself in your day by day and that you had to discover by your own, I also discovered living the day by day of Alzheimer's with my grandma. And I shared with a community around 120,000 families that were following us. And I was receiving back other strategies to deal and to cope with sleep issues or with other uh, things in our routine that was facing, that we were facing a little bit of some challenges. And this, this was very helpful. I, I do want to ask you before we, we finish here, because as you know, the audience here are mainly early career researchers. And do you have any message or question for them? Well, the message I have for early career researchers is don't ever be afraid to ask us a question. One of the things that I have discovered over the years for, for early researchers is that they are not fully aware of the illness and that is fully acceptable. And so they get a bit of a shock when they find out that uh, we can laugh and we can talk and we can have lots of fun and we can give them loads of information. So I want them to understand that we have, we still have loads of joy and laughter in our lives. And we want them to never be afraid to ask, never be afraid to ask a question. And to have your questions, if you have never, you know, no matter what the question is, and you may find that Oh God, maybe this is a simple question, or maybe I shouldn't ask that question. Don't ever, don't, don't think twice. Just ask the question. And you, you know, if you're if you're concerned about asking questions, that you can always say, Well, I'm not sure if I could ask this, but do you mind if I ask it? And we're we want to help researchers because we want to and we want to engage. Uh, I have never met somebody that's involved in advocacy. And can I say I do want to say that, that advocacy is not for everybody because. You have to remember, we see the death and destruction along the way of what of what Alzheimer's does to our colleagues. So, but we keep going and we want, we're in that space because we want to be in that space and we want to help researchers because as I said, there is no cure. There is no 100% diagnosis. 
So how are we ever going to move on with uh, ensuring all around the world by, by having simple things to do for people in, in, like I mentioned earlier, cognitive rehabilitative therapy, that we can help each other no matter where we are to improve maybe our quality of sleep or quality of life or how we live our lives or how we can help. We want to help, we really do. I just cannot say it enough to researchers and we cannot say enough because we meet young researchers and, and, and they are afraid to, to talk to us. And I met many of you young people over in uh, at Trinity. I'm still involved with the Global Brain Health Institute very much with the fellows this year. We've, we're even more involved than ever. So I think that it's, it's good to have research. It's good for researchers never to be afraid to ask the question. That's a really good piece of advice and um, never been afraid of asking those living, not just with dementia, but with all the characteristics of life. Exactly. And asking them how it's like to be in their shoes and how can we communicate better and, and, and affect positively the world in this meaning. So that's, that's really powerful, Helen. Thank you. Well, thank you for sharing your powerful story with us. I truly hope I will be able to go back to Ireland to hear you once again when the world finally gets back to normal. But while things are still a little bit messy, such as, for example, Clara's nights of sleep, <laughs> I will drive back to Clara and thank you, Helen. See you soon, I hope. Yeah, I hope so. And, and it's nice to meet you, Fernando, Fernando and, and thank you for taking the time to talk to me. It has been amazing to hear Helen's story, and it really gave us an idea of how important sleep is and how tricky it gets for people living with dementia, and also how much we may miss it if it starts to be disrupted. And I actually think Fernando knows a lot about disrupted sleep, although I think in his case is voluntary. I normally do not get eight hours of sleep, and adults on average uh, need between seven and nine hours of sleep daily for health benefits. Short sleep has been related with negative mindsets, depression, anxiety, but also, and more important for the aim of this podcast, lower cognitive functioning. And it is not only about how long we sleep, but also about the quality of it. Lack of sleep of, or disturbances during sleep are risk factors for dementia. For example, People suffering sleep apnea have been shown to have a 1.6 higher relative risk of developing dementia. And then not only that, but as we heard from Helen, sleep disturbances are commonly reported by both patients and caregivers. So let's see what science has to say about that. We have the honor to invite uh, Dr. Yu Len, who is an internationally trained epidemiologist. Yu is interested in studying the link between sleep and neurodegeneration in older adults and is currently developing her research at UCSF. Yu, uh, can you tell us a little more about your work? Um, sure. Um, thank you, Clara, um, for that introduction. Um, so my name is Yu and um, I uh, was trained as an epidemiologist uh, and currently my work is focused on the relationship between different sleep disturbances and and um, in relation to degenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease um, in older adults. So uh, part of my work is trying to figure out how our daily um, sleep and also circadian 
uh, patients could potentially influence our risk of developing Alzheimer's um, or influence cognition. Um, and another part is kind of trying to develop intervention studies um, and trying to use non-pharmacological um, behavioral or behavioral interventions to help um, improve people's sleep uh, with the uh, goal of ultimate goal of improving um, their cognition and maybe even preventing um, Alzheimer's. Thanks. That seems amazing and super interesting. So now that we have just heard from Helen about her personal experience of how living with Alzheimer's has affected her sleep, and you briefly explain a little more uh, about how common sleep problems are amongst people living with dementia. Um, sure. Um, so uh, we know that, uh, we already know is that um, sleep disturbances um, are indeed very common um, in older adults living with dementia. Um, and they can also suffer from a range of sleep disorders. Um, for example, um, people living with Alzheimer's, um, many of them can suffer from um, a symptom called sound downing, uh, which refers to um, a bit of confusion occurring in the late afternoon um, and spanning into the night. Um, and it can cause a variety of behaviors such as confusion, anxiety, um, aggression, or um, ignoring directions. Um, so that's kind of a very common um, sleep disorder happening in Alzheimer's disease patients. Another common um, sleep disorder in um, patients with dementia is called um, REM sleep behavior disorder, also known as um, RBD. Um, so this is a sleep disorder which, in which um, people usually physically act out vivid, um, often unpleasant dreams with vocal sounds and sudden often um, violent arm and leg movements um, during rapid eye movement sleep. Um, so this is why um, um, this can be very common in patients with Lewy body dementia uh, because of the specific um, pathological um, uh, uh, influences um, of the disease. Um, so all, um, in these patients, um, in general, in patients living with dementia, uh, prevalence of um, sleep disturbances can range from 20 to um, even 50 or 60%. So it is very common. And many patients even uh, report more than one sleep disorders. Um, <clears throat> and also we know that um, sleep disordered breathing or sleep apnea can be very common in patients um, living with um, all kinds of uh, all types of dementia. Um, so that is very common as well. Uh, thank you, you. So let's move now to the uh, pre-symptomatic or before diagnosis uh, time. And we are all interested in prevention, right? And we hear a lot about how good habits regarding exercise, food, or social networks can uh, reduce our risk of dementia. So how strong is the evidence that poor quality sleep or sleep disorders are also risk factors for dementia? Uh, we have actually done um, a number of studies that have shown um, that a range of um, sleep disorders or uh, unfavorable sleep patterns could influence um, a risk of dementia. Um, for example, um, many studies have found an U-shaped relationship between sleep duration um, and risk of dementia um, in that both uh, short and long sleep duration, for example, less than six hours or more than nine hours um, of sleep per night could um, 
contribute to increased risk of dementia. Um, and many other studies have looked at insomnia, um, which can be difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep. Um, and they have found that insomnia has been um, linked to uh, risk of dementia as well. Um, and also we have um, looked at um, people living with sleep apnea. Um, and actually in a meta-analysis we have done, we looked at over 1 million um, uh, population and we found that those living with um, a sleep apnea, they had, um, I think it was over 20% um, increased risk of developing uh, dementia. Their executive function is particularly influenced. Thank you, that's, that's very, th th those are high numbers. Um, but why is that? Why, why might a sleep influence our risk for dementia? What is the mechanism behind? Um, so indeed, um, kind of for the past 10 years or so, uh, many studies have looked at the mechanisms underlying um, the relationship between poor sleep um, quality and um, risk of Alzheimer's. Um, and uh, some of these animal studies, they have um, using, uh, they have used um, mice models and found that um, sleep plays a really important role uh, in clearing out uh, beta amyloid, uh, which we know as a, um, a very important Alzheimer's related protein um, out of the brain. Um, and they have also shown that after um, kind of introducing um, uh, sleep deprivation in um, the, the mice, um, they also see that elevated uh, brain amyloid um, in the brain. Um, so this shows that um, sleep really plays uh, a key role um, in kind of the, the metabolism um, in the brain and help clearing out um, Alzheimer's related protein um, from the brain. Um, so that's kind of um, um, from the animal studies. Um, and for the past few years, there are also growing numbers of um, human studies um, that looks at the link between um, sleep and um, uh, kind of imaging um, uh, data in the population. And they also um, similarly, they found that um, a sleep can be related um, to um, differences in um, brain amyloid, uh, beta amyloid, um, and also um, they um, actually, um, for one study, um, they found that um, beta amyloid increased about um, 5% uh, in the um, participants' brains um, after losing a night of sleep. Um, so that is how um, important um, you know, sleep is in, um, uh, in helping the um, older adults um, in the, the clearance of their um, Alzheimer's-related proteins. Thanks for that. Um, so, okay, let's get practical. So is there anything we can do to improve our sleep patterns? And if we do something, uh, what impact do such interventions have on cognition and risk of, of dementia? Um, I think, you know, the first thing really to note is that um, we, as both, um, you know, older adults, their caregivers, and also clinicians, or just the general public, should pay more attention um, to um, sleep in older adults. Um, and this could range from um, things like poor sleep quality, um, you know, disrupted circadian, I mean, day-night patterns, or even, um, um, you know, daytime sleep um, habits, like daytime napping um, habits. Um, and our studies have found that um, 
for some of these um, associations between sleep disturbances and um, dementia if um, um, some of the sleep habits might be picked up as early signs or early um, preclinical alarms um, of dementia. And that might help people uh, make early decisions um, about um, their, um, you know, both their sleep habits and their um, cognition. So they can, um, you know, get into this process early um, to um, help prevent further um, um, slowdown of their cognition. Um, and in terms of uh, intervention, um, I think, you know, for, um, if we break this down into for different types of sleep disorders, for things like insomnia, um, we have now we have um, medications. That's probably one of the most common, um, commonly used um, ways for intervention for insomnia. Um, although for older adults, um, we usually recommend, recommend um, a therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, uh, which is a behavioral intervention and that's non-pharmacological. Um, and um, our studies have also shown that um, the frequent use of sleep medications might actually be harmful for cognition um, in older adults. Um, so we really want to recommend um, more use of uh, behavioral interventions such as um, CBTI um, as the cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Uh, we're actually um, running a study right now um, using this CBTI treatment, um, actually a digital um, CBTI um, treatment in patients living with mild cognitive impairment. Um, so we are hoping this intervention uh, might help um, both improve this patient's sleep um, and also help slow down their cognitive decline in the long term. Um, and another part of this is um, sleep apnea, as we know. Um, so lots of studies have looked at um, sleep apnea, both sleep apnea as a risk factor for Alzheimer's, but also um, interventions such as using um, CPAP, uh, which is a common um, therapy for sleep apnea, um, and how that might help prevent um, Alzheimer's or help slow down cognitive decline. Um, so far, the evidence has been mixed, um, but um, more research is really needed to, um, I think, look more into how different types of interventions um, might be beneficial for um, patients with um, live with dementia um, and both sleep dementia and sleep disorders. Um, and hopefully that would help uh, offer some new solutions for um, their symptoms. So uh, according to what you said, I think clinicians, uh, we can have a, a, a big role in, in dealing with the sleep issues. How do you think we should approach them in the clinic? Um, so maybe I'll start and I, I should really pass back to a clinician. Um, so I, I think as we epidemiologists said, um, we do want to um, you know, raise clinicians' attention um, that you should pay more attention not only to um, patients' uh, nighttime sleep, but also daytime sleep and their 24-hour um, sleep-wake patterns, um, since that could be both um, a signal and also uh, a risk factor for their cognitive decline or um, cognitive aging. Um, and we think that has been largely um, you know, overlooked in the past. Um, so I think more attention should be paid to this um, and in terms of um, treatment intervention, um, and maybe you can um, talk a little bit more about that. Uh, yes, well, I can talk about my experience in, in clinics. And I actually, 
I have to say that sleep is one of the main complaints of, of patients generally, uh, not only patients with, with cognitive decline. I think uh, we should pay, as you said, much more attention to sleep problems. It, they should be on, on our radar uh, for all kind of, of physicians, but uh, more even more for, for neurologists. So we should, I think it's very important to devote enough time to the interview about sleep. Uh, sometimes patients say, I don't sleep well, and that's the end of the interview, and they receive a pill for sleeping. So you really have to see what is the pattern, what is the problem, if they are tired during the day, and a long list of, of details. I think we also should have more access or ask for more uh, sleep studies, because I think they are very important and give us important clues about diagnosis. And then uh, we should be very careful with medications. Thank you so much, Dr. Leng. It has been amazing to hear you talk about this topic, and I'm sure it has also been very informative for our listeners. That uh, will bring today's episode to a close. So thank, thank you both, uh, Helen and you. And that's it for today. So if you would like to be kept informed about the latest research about advances in this field, why not join iStart's professional interest area for sleep and circadian rhythms? Uh, and then visit our website for more information. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.